0: Um, I want to welcome you again. It's so good to see everybody. Our text this morning is in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. And it's a passage that is very well known, and and the context is, is, as Christians, we often call it in your Bible, you might even see it's the Sermon on the Mount, and it goes from chapter 5 to chapter 7 in Matthew's Gospel. And most likely, this was a a time in Jesus' ministry early on when he was sharing all these things probably not just in one day it was probably multiple days and Matthew records and summarizes what Jesus said and he he takes note here and and we have for us something amazing if you read those three chapters it's very convicting it's very enlightening and it points us in the way we ought to go, but it's very convicting. And I if you have a chance, read Matthew 5 through 7 and, and, and take, take it to heart. Let the Holy Spirit just open up your eyes to what Jesus is teaching in these three chapters. There is so much there to set us back on the right path. And so I just pray that you would do that. Matthew chapter 5. And I'm reading in verse 13 to 16. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If not, you can just listen. Jesus said, "You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing any more, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men, in such a way." that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And again, the words of Jesus there. And our our text this morning takes us to the commencement of Jesus' ministry. And in chapter 3, right before this, you will see and you will read about how Jesus was taken into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. Now, just a side thought here. I made note in in my message here to just point this out. Oftentimes, when we are in a place that we call place of wilderness, and we're struggling, and, it's, and we're hurting, and we're so dry spiritually, and I'm parched, and God, where are you? And I'm being tested, and it's tough, and everything's coming at me, and I got nothing to eat, and I'm thirsty, and I'm, I'm in the spiritual. And we're just hurting, and we're wondering, God, where are you really? And sometimes it's easy for us to determine or to come to the conclusion that, well, we're, we're in trouble. This is either self-induced, or that we've done something sinful, and and it's just, we're we're in a heap of trouble now. But did you know, and just to remind you, that the Spirit of God took Jesus to the wilderness. You can read the words of the Bible for yourself. It's not something Jesus wanted. But it was something that was necessary for a testing. And in that testing, as he won by using the word of God over all the temptations of the enemy, of Satan, he came out and he began his ministry powerful. He was strengthened through that wilderness. And so we can't always assume that when we're in a wilderness, we've done something wrong. Sometimes that might be true. That can absolutely be true. But oftentimes God takes us through. And I think when Job went through a wilderness in his life, He he went through a long wilderness with a lot of loss and difficulty. But in the end, he shone forth and he was brilliant and God restored and he was powerful. And, And God just blessed him mightily and he kept on trusting the Lord. And that's what Jesus did. So Jesus comes out and he declares right away. He starts his ministry. This is how Jesus starts. The kingdom of God is at hand. So repent. That's how he starts his ministry. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he declares that it had arrived. It's here. I'm here. It's here. He's ready to set up his kingdom. And listen, contrary to the expectation of citizens of his culture, even the religious ones, God's kingdom was not going to be set up in Jerusalem or any other location on the map as the result of a powerful military or political conquest. I have to make a comment here. This morning, as most of you are familiar, we are gearing up for an election. Did you know that? You probably know that. I want to say this as nicely and as humbly and as whatever as I can, so Lord help me to say this clearly. I just want to give you a warning if you're a Christian this morning. There are brothers and sisters across the aisle or across this sanctuary or wherever you are who have different political views than you do. Did you know that? They're still children of God, they are not your enemies. Paul said that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And how dare you, if you're a child of God, look at somebody who is a Democrat or a Republican or someone who has a different view than yours and view them as an enemy. They are not your enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Why am I saying that? Because the politicization and the divide that has happened has crept into the church. Come on, I don't care. I'm going to say it the way it is. You know that. I know you're watching on live stream, wherever you are, but it is the way it is. God help us, and I warn you as children of God that you would not view brothers and sisters as your enemy because they see something differently. Listen, God's kingdom will not be established in Washington, D.C. I'm going to say it again. God's kingdom is not going to be established in Washington, D.C. It doesn't mean His kingdom can't touch it. His kingdom will not be set up in the United States of America. It's not going to be in the EU. It's not going to be in South Africa. His kingdom is so much bigger and broader and deeper than that. And when Jesus said that the kingdom of God is at hand, he wasn't talking about him coming and taking over with a political agenda, a social agenda, a whatever agenda you want to put there. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God is about The Spirit of God coming in, taking rulership of our lives, ordering our lives in such a way that is consistent with who God is, so that we truly see what justice is in our world through and through. God's kingdom is bigger than a political kingdom or ideology. Remember that. Do you remember the Pharisees? They were so concerned about this kingdom being set up as well that they got a head start. And then they wanted to tell Jesus how that kingdom, how it would look. And every place Jesus turned because he was more, can I just be a little free here? because we throw labels around, but he was a little too liberal for them because he hung out with the sinners and he let things go that they were so unafraid of to even make contact with. That's too liberal. That's too progressive. I'm not going there. Well, listen, it doesn't matter if you're conservative, liberal, whatever it is. God loves you and he wants you to be a part of his kingdom. Doesn't mean he won't shape your values and your views. I'm not saying that. But God loves you. They had a way. And Jesus was always at odds. They were always at odds with Jesus. Because they had this, this supposed way of what God's kingdom and what righteousness would look like. And Jesus blew it all out of the water. We, too... We're looking for a kingdom to be established, aren't we, one day when Jesus comes back. But Jesus gives the advice to stop looking, even to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 17. He said, stop looking all around for this political or geographic thing, geopolitical thing. He said, because the kingdom of God is within you. Thank you. The kingdom of God is within you. No, it's not already there, but it comes there when God touches you and you encounter Him and He sets up shop and rulership and lordship, kingship in your life. That's what He was after. Especially for those of you who hear, accept and obey my teaching. If I could just kind of stretch it out a little with what Jesus was teaching. And now in chapter 5, Jesus takes his disciples and the crowds to the Mount of Olives and he teaches about the character of those who are citizens of God's kingdom. Now, just another side note, we're not citizens of this world. Yes, we're citizens of the United States of America and we're responsible and we vote and we get involved and we, we care for the welfare of the city or the nation. Of course we care. But listen, we are passing through. We will not be here forever. This This kingdom is not our home. Temporarily it is, I understand. But be careful that we don't get so caught up in what this kingdom is that we lose sight of what the eternal kingdom and the kingdom of God is all about. And then we'll lose sight of our mission. And we won't do our mission. And then we might might have a hard time hearing Jesus say when we see him, Well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know. God knows that. Stay on task. Stay on track. Keep the proper perspective. The character matters in this this kingdom that we're in. Character matters in general. God cares about that. Listen to this. Jesus says about the character, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah, that works. That's going to win you votes. That's going to win you fans. That's going to win you influence when you're poor in spirit, isn't it? But that's the character trait of someone who's poor in spirit i didn't say you're weak i didn't say you don't have resolve i didn't say you don't have convictions but blessed are the poor in spirit i'm gonna because this is not what it's about but you read that and you you research what that means blessed are those who mourn blessed are those are the meek blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness those who are merciful blessed are the pure in heart Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of his name. You know them, the Beatitudes, right before this. And and this was a lesson on the inward traits and attitudes of a Christian, of somebody who is a citizen of God's kingdom, of what God expects for those who dwell within his kingdom and adhere to his principles, his rules, his law, his rulership. Character is important. And always, it always affects your function. That's why the greatest teacher started his teaching by addressing this issue that is often deliberately overlooked in our culture. Character matters. What's here matters because it always comes out and affects your function. Always, always, always. Jesus concludes his character sketch and he gives instruction as to the function that citizens of God's kingdom have in this world. You are the salt of the earth. I'm not going to spend time on that because that's not my focus. The focus is on that you are the light of the world. But he says that if it salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? But let me just say that there is so much application here for another sermon about what that salt is and that we are salt in this world and how that works in a practical way. But I, can I just tell you something and remind you that the most practical thing and application about the fact that we are the salt of the world is this. Salt will never preserve this world unless there is contact with the world. I didn't say there's compromise. I didn't say there's linking and bonding with the world. But unless you make contact, you can't preserve. If the salt never touches the meat being preserved, it'll never be preserved. I don't care if it's two feet away, 12 inches away, or two millimeters away. The salt's got to be on the meat to preserve it. It's got to be in there. Yes or no? You gotta have contact. Jesus left. We sang about it. He, the light of the world, he came, stepped down into darkness, was the light, but he came to preserve. He made contact, to bring life, to restore, to keep it so his kingdom could be established. Are you avoiding? Are you staying away? Are you trying to limit contact because, oh no, I'm gonna lose my saltiness? Your job is to preserve and prevent corruption and decay. Not you, but God in you. That's you got to take that away. I've I got to move on because of time. You are the light of the world, in verse 14. As the salt of the earth, followers are to preserve the world for corruption from the godly character as salt preserves food. And there are, again... As I said, applications, but the focus is you are the light of the world this morning. You and I are the light of the world if we're Christians. We're born again and God's Spirit has come into our lives. And that, listen, this is so important to think about this. I'm the light of the world? You're the light of the world? Yes. I didn't say it, Jesus did. You are the light of the world. John wrote that in Jesus, was light in chapter one of his gospel that in Jesus was life and that life was the light of men anyone who receives him John said and believes in his name has the right to be called a child of God can I by extension just say you become a citizen of God's kingdom You're in His family. You're within His kingdom. You're a citizen there. And you abide by His rules, His rulership. You submit to that. You're governed by Him. You do things His way. And now you are the light of the world. You're reflecting and showing His glory. That's God's plan. See, that salvation experience, the regeneration of the heart, where our heart is made new because it was dead. It wasn't even beating for God. And He comes and touches us. And He makes it alive. And He takes it from the darkness and lightens it up. It's an event that includes... A transferring from darkness to God's kingdom of light, Paul said in Colossians. And then, when you experience this, and for some of you, when you experience this, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, by your surrender, by believing in what He did for you on the cross, this is what you can say. The exact same thing that King David said in Psalm 18 and verse 28. You, O Lord... Keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. We sang that song. When the darkness, when the night is holding on to me. You remember that? We say, when the night is holding on to me, God, you hold on to me. He holds on. He pushes it out. He shines through you. That night will never get a hold of you and devour you and swallow you up and take over. It'll be around you, but you will always have that light in you, that light of life. You, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. And Jesus simply says about his disciples, since you follow me, since you hang out with me, since you're in relationship with me and you obey me, you are to reflect me because I am the light of the world and I live inside of you. John, Jesus said that in John 8. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. If he's in you, He's got to shine, or does he? Because we can do certain things that cover it, or we hinders how freely or how easily that light is, is is visible. See, here's the thing, and follow me this morning. Without Jesus, I'm just a lamp. I'm just a lantern. This is all I am, right here. Literally, by definition, you, I'm just a lamp. I'm not a light. I'm just a lamp without Jesus. I have the potential. I have the, I'm a potential carrier of the light, and that's up to God, of course, who chooses to save me or not, and then I submit, and he, it's amazing. But I am a potential carrier of the light. And the Bible is clear that without Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have no light in us. None. We have no light in us. We have no spiritual life that leads us to an eternity with God. And we can't lead others to Him either because we're in darkness. Because we're sinful men. We remain in darkness. Not a physical darkness, but a spiritual darkness where there is confusion. There's no understanding of our true sinful condition without God until God comes into our life. The Apostle Paul stated clearly in Acts chapter 17, he's talking with philosophers and those who are trying to figure out the meaning of life and the higher being and who that is. And they go to Athens and there's there's a, a monument there to the unknown God. And Paul talks to them and says, listen, I know who that is. I know who that is. God is real. He can be known. And he can be found and even seen if we search for him. Even if it's just a reaching out with our flailing arms and our desperation and even our ignorance but we're so desperate. God, I need you. I need something. I'm in darkness. And if we seek, we will find. Jeremiah says even more pointedly, God says to Jeremiah in chapter 29, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart all your heart you will find me it's a promise if you seek me with all your heart if you seek him you will see him i promise you and god wants to be seen by you and he wants to give you his light he does that's the kind of god he is he's good and he doesn't want you to walk in darkness oh it's so awesome it is a present fact That if you are God's child, the citizen of his kingdom, you are the light of the world right now. Jesus said that. I'm not saying that. Jesus said that. I don't mind stating the obvious. I'll be Captain Obvious for a minute. If you and I are a light in and to the world, then the world is dark. Why else do you need a light? If I am the light of the world, the world is dark. It's full of sin. And you know what? To even clarify that even more, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2 that we should shine like stars in the universe. I love that expression. Stars in the universe. We're lighting up the darkness, no matter how small or how big we are, no matter how distant, but we are lights in the universe. And he goes on, in a dark perverted and corrupt world we are to shine like stars light is a source for life and has positive effects of course as you know and I won't go through the list you could probably think of them it has amazing qualities and things that it can do right and it gives life that's ultimate to stay there it's an amazing giver facilitator of life Jesus says that light cannot and must not be hidden Just like a city on a hill, your position in this world as God's child cannot be obscure. God expects that we would shine. It would be absurd if your wife asked you for a new bathroom renovation, right? You do a bathroom renovation and you spend all this money and then you spend 250 bucks on this beautiful bathroom vanity light fixture. You go to Home Depot or some other big wig to do place whatever and you buy a crystal thing or what I don't know what what your style is but you spend all this money on this beautiful fixture and you install it and everything is done in the bathroom and you never put the light bulb in that is so pretty it's so beautiful it's artistic it goes so good with our style but you never put the light bulb in and even more never put the switch on that's absurd, right? I mean, you don't even think that. But you know what? Sometimes as Christians, we do that. We have this connection to God, and yet we don't allow. We don't, we don't connect. We don't tap in. We don't let the light shine. Or we don't even do everything he asks us to. And we, The light is dim or it's out sometimes. If you're a child of God, that doesn't mean you're not connected to God. you got to connect to God. The wiring is there. you got to connect to God and let him... Light it. That's absurd to hide that and not to light up your bathroom with your new light fixture. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. In fact, there's no such thing as a secret any kind of person. Because it will always come out eventually. It will always be proven who you really are. Listen. Question this morning. What basket or bowl are you using or has been put over your light in your life? what do you mean but what do you what do you what are you allowing to stop the light from shining what, what is it what are you allowing to, what is it the bowl has to be removed you've got to remove that so that you can shine brightly jesus said so let your light shine before men jesus says that our testimony must be an ongoing event there are so many ways to shine or reflect the light of christ but the west best way is by our example Jesus' main objective was to bring glory to the Father by his obedience to him. And our objective is to please God and bring glory to God in the same way. You know what convicts me? I'm going to say this, but it convicts me because I know I'm imperfect. And I'm okay saying that. I don't like it, but I'm okay saying it. People want to see a good sermon before they hear one. and and it, that convicts me that, that he says that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father who is in heaven not glorify you not glorify new hope chapel or a political party or an organization or this 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 uh, charity group no it's to glorify your father who's in heaven it's not about you our motivation is not to be seen that was the of motivation of those who opposed Jesus. And they had their own prescribed form of righteousness. We are motivated to do good deeds because we desire to please God and to see Him glorified. Some things to think about this morning. A lamp needs to be lit. It has to have a source of power outside of itself. You cannot light yourself any more than a lamp can light itself. You're not the source. Only God's Word and His Holy Spirit can ignite you and get you lit up. I don't mean that in the way some of you are thinking. God forbid. Lit up as far as shining the light of God. Living righteously, reflecting the glory of God. See, many people have tried all kinds of things. Their heart and soul still remains in a state of darkness. You know, a lamp has to be trimmed periodically we have here a hurricane lamp right here on this table and even the old lamps with those wicks and oil those wicks you know when they get used all the time you got to fix them up you got to either replace them or trim them you got to work on them and that's what happens in our lives sometimes we need trimming we need adjustments we need things cut off maybe the end it's all beat up maybe it's not absorbing anymore we need a replacement that God can make and give us a new wick so we can burn His Spirit lives in us, but sometimes our wick needs adjustments. And God will do that as we surrender to Him. What needs to be trimmed in your life today so you can light up your world? Now, as I come to close, there's a story. I think I've shared this before, or maybe it was in Sunday school. I can't remember now. Forgive me if you've heard this. And I don't know where this came from and how true it is, but in the 1800s, there was a man... Who worked at a train station and he had to man that place and he had this job that was given to him one night because he was warned that a half a mile up past the train station there was a bridge that was out stormy windy dark raining when the train started to come he saw in the distance his job was to go out and grab his lantern that he always had in his little booth there by the train station by the tracks was to grab that and wave it back and forth so that the train conductor would know, stop the train, there's trouble, there's danger. And he had to go back and forth and back and forth. He runs out to the track and he's waving and waving and waving. And as he's waving, the train never slows down. And it keeps going and it goes right off the bridge. Tragic. People died. The train went off the bridge into the gorge below. And there was some confusion and concern in the town. It was uproar. People were angry and sad, everything all at once. And in a few days, he had to go before the judge, and all the town was there because they wanted to figure out what happened with this situation. Because he was there, and he kept saying he was there, and he was out there waiting his lantern. So he gets up, and the judge says to him, says, listen, uh, were you on duty the night of that horrible accident? Were you on duty? Your Honor, yes, I was. The judge looks at him and goes, hmm. Did you, uh, did you have your lantern with you? Did you have your lamp with you? He says, Your Honor, I absolutely had my lantern with me. I always have it with me. The judge kind of thought for a second, and he looked up, and he said, Sir, did you wave that lantern so the train would stop? Did you wave it back and forth? And the man stopped for a second. He's standing there before the judge. He says, yeah, I abs I know I did. I remember. And I was waving and I was yelling and I was screaming and I was frantically waving it back and forth. The whole thing ended. He walked off and he wasn't charged. He wasn't he just let go. They were still trying to figure out how this could happen. What went on? And as he's walking home with his friends, he's walking home and it's, and he's quiet the whole time. His friends are talking and they said, "What are you thinking about?" He says, I I can't believe, he said, I just, I don't know, but I just, I'm so glad. I am so, so glad that the judge did not ask me if my lamp was lit. Oh God, please don't let that be us. God, don't let that be us, don't let that be you. That we can take on the form of everything we gotta be, that that we're all just, we're all lanterns, we're all lamps, we're all, uh, uh, you can call yourself whatever you want, but yet it's not lit and that there's nothing happening, there's no energy source, no life source, and there's no light shining out of us. God help us that that would never happen. Because there is humanity going by us and we encounter every day and we are asked by God, we're asked by His Word, we're asked by the mission that He's given that we would wave that lantern, but more so, it wouldn't just be a lantern, but that we would wave the light and warn them that there is danger ahead and if they stop and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they will have the light of life and never walk God help us. See, the thing this morning is, all these lanterns, these sources of light that are up here, we have a hurricane lamp here, right? And I'll just light it. It doesn't matter. And you probably, you you can't see. I know you can't see from there. Or maybe you will. Well, now you might be able to. But the light is very small. But it can be so small that actually, I'm getting it down to the point that you can't see that it's on, can you? There's a clear flame. I want to walk down and show you, but I won't. For Now you can see it, right? And then we put it here, and, it, and it, oh, the wind blew it out. And now it's stable. But the point is that we see all these different, different shapes and sizes. I mean, I've got a little, what is this called, a votive type thing. Another one, here's one on a little stand. I even have a tea light. Little tea lights, you know, remember these things? But the truth is, is that when we ask Jesus to come into our lives, he comes in, and as an outside outside source light of the world, he lights up our life. You can't do that by yourself. You might be a votive this morning. You might be a fancy, good-looking lantern like this that's battery-powered, and there's no battery in it, by the way, sorry. You might think you're just, and maybe you are, you're just a little tea light, that's all you are, a little tea light. But when Jesus comes into your life, the light still drives out the darkness and it gives light to those around you. Not meant to be hidden. I could light all those. It doesn't matter what shape, size, style you are. It doesn't matter how much light you shine out. When Jesus comes into your life, he always drives out the darkness. And there are many people who have all the appearances of godliness mastered. They know the right things. They do all the right things at the right time before the right people. But they're just a lamp. That's all they are. They're not a light. They're the flashlight without the battery, right? They have no life-giving power because they're not lit. They don't have Jesus, the Holy Spirit. But their own ideas, their tactics, their strategies on how to, how to live life, how to please God, how to make the world better, how to bring God's kingdom into this world. But they're empty and they're essentially the blind leading the blind. They're empty and have no power to make God seen, visible, and real to those who are going off the tracks. How about you? Lamp or light? Which are you? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we ponder and consider and allow your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts with with your teaching on the truth that we are citizens of your kingdom, but that we are salt, but we are also light of this world. I pray that you would point your finger on those things that we have allowed to cover up our light or to dim our light, and that you would do the necessary trimming adjustments. Lord, maybe there are those who need to just get filled up with the oil of your Holy Spirit. Lord, you're in them, but let them tap in and just connect to you through your submission, through prayer, and through your word, and, and, and deep, meaningful fellowship in pursuit of your face with other believers. God, I pray that as we leave today, we would not just be lamps, but we would be lights in this dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.